Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Thursday, December 1st, and we are back from Thanksgiving. And we are finally going to catch up on Tesla and then maybe turn a bit to some thoughts on Cuba. Uh, so, Chris... Tesla Solar City. I don't think we've mentioned them since our September 12th podcast, so it's kind of been a while because Tesla is a frequent topic. It's been a busy couple weeks for them. Uh, last week, they closed their deal for Solar City, And then on Monday, there was some news coming out that they were under fire from the SEC for using, and this is in quotes, individually tailored metrics, and end quotes. And then they were actually presented as a short at uh, the Robin Hood conference yesterday in a presentation entitled Tesla is a zero. So we thought with all that kind of stuff going on, we'd take the opportunity to catch up on Tesla, maybe talk a bit about the future of autonomous cars, which I know we both have a lot of thoughts on. So why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm a big fan of Robinhood, wonderful organization and uh, conference. Uh, interesting to hear the company presented. Um, if the shorts are even half right about Tesla, it's interesting to me that their shareholder vote was as smooth as it was. Yeah. Combining the company with Solar City, uh, this was a bailout of Solar City. Uh, Solar City gets needed help from SpaceX, from Tesla, from Elon Musk personally, and uh, shareholders kind of shrugged and said sure i think that that shows that one you just can't beat something with nothing and two people who've invested in this company are committed elon musk fans yeah look we we've talked about this uh we talked about this vote several times and i I think it just came down to maybe a lot of people didn't like the company and the shorts were the a big piece of the short thesis was like solar city is a drag on tesla it's going to suck up so much capital this was an awful deal for them but if a big the- if a big piece of your long thesis and reason for owning stock is Elon Musk is a revolutionary and Elon Musk says this deal is a must have stepping stone like how are you going to turn that down of course you're not going to turn that down Elon Musk is the reason you're invited invested so makes sense the deal would go through go ahead I think that in the presentation one of the kind of I thought wittier funnier moments was uh, the presenter said, um, you know, that uh, Musk had contemplated being on a rocket to Mars and what would happen if he passed away on that rocket. <laughs> and his big concern was what if a more profit seeking type CEO was his replacement <laughs> and he didn't have somebody who had such long term, uh, long term ideas. And the presenter said, well, you know, if, if they're spending their money on rocket ships to Mars, the, the short term is probably not being too overwhelmingly uh, favored uh, relative to the long term. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a concern. It's interesting. Right now, if you think about the supply versus demand of securities and you're interested in the autonomous driving uh, electric future, uh, uh, TSLA is your... Uh, is, is, is your tool to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to change dramatically in the next few years where the traditional uh, car companies kind of come and fight back. I, I think I certainly would buy an electric car for my next vehicle, but I th- would be surprised if it's a Tesla just because it, it might be, but it could be another half dozen uh, competitors sometime in the next few years. You know, so I, I think that's a great point. And again, it's one we've made on this podcast, but I think the thing... Look, I don't have a position in the stock one way or the other. But one thing I do think about, if you're talking about who's the closest to unveiling a fully autonomous car network, 
It's probably Tesla. Like, if you look at their self-driving auto, their self-driving feature on the car, like, people, there are all sorts of stories about people literally getting behind the wheel and, like, opening up a book and reading while the, the car is self-driving. And Uber's got a, a pilot program that they're doing out in Philly, but Tesla's probably the American company closest to having a fully self-driving car. And if they're the company closest to that, and you think about the spoils that will be go to the first person who fully unveils the autonomous car network nationwide, I mean, the, the potential market cap of them is huge. So, you know, I understand shorting them. I understand the financials don't look great. The company's probably going to need to raise money. But if you're short, I think a lot of people are short in the financials. And if you think about the, the odds of them succeeding there and the upside from them succeeding from that, I think that's really your big worry. But as you said, there's a lot of competition coming on. Huge prizes attract a lot of competition. Mr. Musk would say they don't need to raise new capital, but they do. Uh, I also think there's a big opportunity for Pokemon Go or some kind of video game that you could play with other cars since you don't have to drive anyways. <laughs> you could just, I mean, they need to give the driver something to do. So I think it's going to be a 3D driving video game. So well, you play through the windshield. Well, let's talk about that. I think one thing we, we've both been talking about and we've talked kind of swap thoughts around the office is the future of self-driving cars and i think one thing you think about when you see self-driving cars is a like you, you sent an interesting article and i'll let you you go into it like regulations now were built for humans driving cars mm-hmm. and if you go back and look at kind of the regulations 100 years ago when regulations were built for horses and people steering horses like people were kind of putting up roadblocks to cars because they were like this will change our whole way of life we don't have the infrastructure for this and i think that's kind of where people are coming out with cars and just everything we know about cars and how we live our lives and how cities are developed are going to need to change Mm -hmm. i mean i think the biggest thing is there's going to be far less concentration of vehicles once you get the intensity of them to 100 percent from under five percent um, it's going to change. You're not going to need a garage in every house. You're not going to need uh, parking uh, spaces uh, in high population density areas. You can have them kind of in the outskirts, uh, outer boroughs. Do you need parking? Like why do, a car only needs to park to charge and maybe you can do wireless charging. So maybe cars are always in motion. Like is all parking worthless, which would be great for cities, right? You can, I think 20% of cities goes to parking. You can replace all of that with extra streets, or that's probably needless because there's no more traffic. So you can replace it all with more buildings. So you get more space. And everybody gets one more room in their house. They can figure out what they, uh, every, everybody exactly. has a new man cave. Uh, Everybody's got a gym that they don't need to use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, the entire insurance industry, I think, uh, auto insurance changes utterly, uh, probably goes away completely in its current form. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we were talking about earlier today the ethics and consideration around whether, if it comes with a steering wheel, if you would be able to drive. I guess that would be uh, an insurable risk, uh, but ethically and legally, it'll be pretty difficult you know, yeah. to voluntarily uh, participate in an activity that kills hundreds of thousands of people a year when it's utterly unnecessary. Look, I'm just grabbing stats out of the air, but if like the odds of a wreck in an autonomous vehicle are one-tenth of one percent, the odds of a wreck when you're driving are one percent, and the odds of a drunk driving wreck are three percent four percent whatever you could argue that it's more dangerous for a human to be driving a car than for a drunk human to be driving than a human so don't you have to ban don't you have to ban humans driving just grab this that's on nowhere the, not the, the case yeah. will be hard i think that the uh accident stats will quickly converge on what much more similar in, in a lot of ways to both the uh, instance of the insurance of 
uh, and uh, the regulatory reaction to airline uh, airline crashes. You know, the, the other things that you think about, like self-driving cars are coming. They're going mm-hmm. to reduce traffic. They're going to replace a lot of things. If you think about cities right now, like New York spends a billion dollars to roll out a Second Avenue subway line, or I think it's way more than a billion, or to extend the seven or something like if self-driving cars are coming, self-driving cars are going to be cheaper and faster than subways. Like, aren't all of those capital investments kind of wasted right now? Like, you're not going to amortize them over 30 years. You're probably amortizing over seven or eight. Should should New York City stop investing in the subway and just start investing on in roads? Or, you know, like, how do cities deal with these problems? Should, should uh, train, should people stop investing in train lines? Because cars and roads are going to transport everything it's all tough questions i I think the answer the specific answer is probably yes and just the more generalized one is that in major infrastructure projects and this is relevant the new inbound administration has big plans for huge infrastructure largely for job creation but um these things tend to be done with incredibly crude discount rates i mean the idea of the discount rate is not something you'd think that they would be constantly talking about it thinking about it doing math and tweaking that math, but uh, it doesn't happen that way. You know, and let's talk about some investing implications. And I'm just, I I haven't thought about this at all. I'm just grabbing these off the top of my head. But if you think self-driving cars, A, all that data they generate is going to be needed, is going to need to be transmitted wirelessly. So Mm -hmm. you've got to think that's hugely bullish for who's ever transporting data. So I'm thinking like AT&T, Verizon, Spectrum probably becomes a lot more valuable. Also because, look, you've got that, whatever your commute time is, you're not driving. You can spend it doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're probably watching a lot more Netflix, streaming media, all that sort of stuff. Probably app producers are more valuable. I don't know. Do you, do you have any others off the top of your head? No, I think the Spectrum, uh, that was going to be my first, uh, my first pick. And, uh, uh, and then a lot of the question goes to whether this is going to be voluntary time, whether they're going to be entertained, or whether you're just going to be put to work. Yeah. I mean, you could be on the clock. Uh, you have no excuse now. But uh, that increases productivity for businesses. I think real estate prices, like right now... You know, people hate commute. People hate long commutes. Mm-hmm. But if you can commute and sleep in the car or work hands free, like does that decrease the pre- the cost of living enough where you know suburbs become more valuable, or even a lot of outer suburbs become more valuable, and people don't necessarily need to live in the high priced cities anymore? All, all of it's interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's right. And then the other thing that we've been talking about is some of the ethics of uh, safety systems, especially as it relates to pedestrians. I've been kind of very uh, curious how they're going to make decisions about uh, protecting the uh, owners and users of the vehicles versus pedestrians, uh, whether it is strictly utilitarian, maximizing life, whether there are uh, kind of justice concerns uh, that favor innocent people or people who are not taking undue risks relative to pedestrians who jump out in front of traffic. Uh, and uh, how, because there's going to be uh, a lot of data these cars can, yeah. uh, these cars can take in. I mean, they might see somebody, the car could know what their life expectancy is. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's kind of hobbled all the road. You know, what, what, what system are they going to use to decide yeah. who is safe? If there are three 90-year-old people in the car and there's a mother and a baby walking in front, is three greater than two or is that life expectancy greater? And I thought an interesting one was in one of those articles you said it said like nobody cares if like a hundred horses trample people but all all people care if a car like hits a drunkard who runs in front of it or something the same is kind of the the talks with autonomous vehicles right now like one autonomous vehicle crash everybody goes crazy over but nobody cares if it's prevented a hundred humans driving i would say that the easy answer would be 
asking for a cop-out saying, oh, you shouldn't think about that. The problem is, though, it's going to be so easy to get the data that you're not going to be able to excuse yourself from really tough ethical choices on this. All right. So I I think we've dove pretty far into that. Obviously, super interesting topics and could keep going for a while on it. Let's turn over to Cuba. So Fidel Castro passed away this week. Uh, Let's talk opportunities to invest in Cuba and opportunities to avoid. And I'll just go over... On our June 21st podcast, we actually talked about the Cuba Fund. Uh, I've got some stats here that I'm happy to talk about if you want, or I'll let you just kick it off talking about investment opportunities in Cuba. Sure. I would say the investment opportunity you don't have is the closed-end fund, ticker CUBA. This is kind of a trite, easy way uh, to uh, be uh, involved. Uh, It happens uh, to be a bunch of stocks that have done fairly okay, Uh, but they're just a theory uh, surrounding uh, surrounding, uh, companies that would have something to do, but it's just just stories around easily ascertained attainable uh uh, companies. Look, I, I would I would raise it one step. I, I think it would be the worst Cuba investment you could make. Look, this this is a company that has it is designed to. I think we said this on our June twenty first podcast. It's a p- product designed to be sold. Yes. Uh, look, it trades at a slight discount to its net asset value right now, but that discount is completely justified. You can go back over any time per- period, and Cuba has massively out underperformed any relevant indices. And part of the reason is because management just rakes fees in. They mm-hmm. charge them they charge one point four five percent of assets as a management fee, plus there are some other bolt-ons and stuff that bring the expense ratio over two percent. And, you know, high expenses can only be justified by uh managerial outperformance and these guys have massively mm-hmm. underperformed the indices. Uh, they clearly don't deserve this, but the closed-end charter and the fact that they designed a Cuba product to be sold is how they can charge this. Uh, you, you'd be crazy to invest in this long-term unless you thought you could get this liquidated or something. Uh, this is a product designed not to be bought, but to be sold. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, a, a lot of people say, oh, so-and-so stock will benefit from Cuba opening up. I think when you think about Cuba, like it's such a small economy at this point. Mm-hmm. It's such a small opportunity. I can't think of a single company where you'd really go in and be like, the reason I'm investing is Cuba's yeah. opening up. If you were trying to be just relevant to Cuba, and then I'm going to I'm gonna attack this yeah. idea in a second, you would say Imperial Brands, uh, previously Imperial Tobacco. Uh, and this is something that I've invested in in the past and not currently. Uh, it's an industry that I love. Uh, were all of the goods and services uh, of the companies I invested in uh, physically addictive? Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. Uh, and they have a JV with the uh, Cuban government uh, uh cigar exporters and yeah. so that's certainly relevant now the problem i have with it is uh a concern that a lot of the mystique of cuban cigars was related to the embargo itself yeah uh, that if i came in and said hey andrew i got you some cuban cigars it represents the difficulty i took and by the way in case regulators are listening i don't and i've not said <laughs> that i wouldn't do such a thing <laughs> you're getting if your I did, house is getting broken into if as i we did speak. that would simply be uh, a uh, a nice gift because of the exclusivity yeah. if i could get it on every corner yeah, I don't, I don't think we'd be smoking yeah. Cuban cigars right now. Why are you getting me tobacco, Chris? Yeah, I've yeah. never smoked anything in my life. You could get it if you wanted to. It's not healthy. I don't even, you know, so it's, it's uh, it really, I think it is a mystique. And the mystique has just gone away. And, it and, will go away. And then the other thing, like, I, I think one frequent thing people say is like, oh, cruise ships. Like, Cuba's going to open up and they get an extra port and there are going to be extra people going on cruises. Like, look, an extra port or two is a nice kind of incremental thing. Mm-hmm. 
But the cruise lines are multi, multi-billion dollar industries. You know, uh, the owner of the Miami Heat, he, he bought the Miami Heat with his cruise line profits. Like, it's not like one extra port is going to budge the needle for these things. It's nice incrementally, but there's just not many things you can look at and be like, this is what's going to move the needle for this public company. Now, maybe if you can figure out a way to buy Cuban real estate on your own or something, maybe that's an opportunity. But I don't think there are public opportunities. Fidel's brother is now dictator. Uh, the system is one that hopefully will change relatively quickly. But if you look at the history of East Germany, it was a huge drag for a long time on West Germany yeah. as they had to bring up people whose whole education system, whose whole infrastructure was built around a communistic system that once you ended it had a drag, uh, not a economic euphoria. Uh, similarly, if you look at North Korea right now, a lot of the big uh, concerns come from South Korean businesses that are picturing the drag they would have taking care of millions of indigent people. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, on the, I, I think I've seen a lot of experts who are like, look, it's not like Cuba's going to open up and exactly what you're saying be this huge boon. Like, Cuban decision making is broken. Like, for mm-hmm. 50 years, they've been buried in so much bureaucratic red tape, it's going to take decades to get this economy back in order and to kind of open them up to capitalism. So uh, Unwinding a society that has been in many ways enslaved is a complicated thing. It's not something you can just turn back on. Uh, you have a lot of people who escaped successfully mm-hmm. and the people who are left made a lot of allowances with the government. That's it, It's hard to undo. Man, this this has been a darker podcast than I anticipated. We've, we've hated on the future of the premier electric car maker and now we're just... Dismissing the future of Cuba almost. It's been a I mean, I mean, I mean, long enough to I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Uh, anyway, that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audio Boom. Chris, we actually got our 100th five star rating on iTunes. I felt really good about that. That's a uh, terrific. Yeah. And I, I believe, true. coincidentally, I could be wrong on this, that this is the 100th podcast. Too. Is that right? I think it's the 100th. Um, that feels about right. Yeah. yeah. You're probably right. Okay. Perfect. Disclosures. I don't have any. We really only mentioned Tesla, Solar City, and Cuba. You have any? I'm short a bit of Tesla. Short a bit of Tesla. All right, so those are our disclosures, and we will talk to you guys next week.